Kevin Vert Umber. Ooh, I like it. Uh, Kevin, uh, I've been going through and editing some of these episodes and putting them together. Oh, that's and nice. I'll uh, do what I can. Uh, do do what I can so that the audience doesn't hear. They hear thirty minutes of conversation instead of forty-five minutes of. Uh, yeah. Um, because oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Tip of my tongue. Yes, because my brain does not work in conversation, and that does not work whenever you do a conversational show. Hmm. But I I noticed whenever I was editing one, and I left it in the episode because it's amusing. We just kind of breeze past it and does not get addressed. Uh, but I mentioned that uh, I believe Jamie Kennedy has listened to a few episodes of the Puff and Publishing podcast. And, oh, uh, interesting. And it, that's, uh, and I do believe that. I think that's, uh, it, it's, I find that very amusing. But now, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I forget the context. Is this evidence based, or you are just positing that, uh, indeed, in his spare time, he has heard a scant few episodes by happenstance? Well, I, it is evidence based, though I also do believe that he's got a lot of free time on his hands. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. He, I, the, the evidence I have is uh, one time on the Puffin Twitter, I tweeted out, um, or the Puffin Twitter uh, tweeted out, if our show wasn't an improvised sketch podcast about authors, it wouldn't. Be, it would be a different show, or something like that. Okay. The joke is a lot funnier uh, than the way I tried to remember it. Uh, but Jamie Kennedy liked that tweet, um, and then. Later on, I retweeted the Puffin tweet. Back whenever I had a Twitter, that was Vernio. I retweeted the Puffin tweet and saying, I can't believe Jamie Kennedy liked this. And he liked that tweet as well. Whoa. Um, I, I didn't at him. Um, but uh, so the evidence, that's the evidence I have. So it could just be that like. I see. I see. I see. He thinks my joke about Puffin is funny and uh, not having heard an episode of Puffin. But sure. He's just a fashion was, of old school vaudeville setups. Yes, uh, he's, he's just a fan of uh, the the stylings of the Marx Brothers and jokes that sound kind of like something they would do. Whenever I edited this previous episode of Kevin, where I mentioned that, uh, it got my brain thinking about something that uh, I weirdly have experienced a lot, and I thought um, it might be fun for us to both talk about these uh, things if they've happened to you. Uh, but that is uh, Kevin and Vern's. Minor interactions with minor celebrities. Okay, 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 okay. Now, I don't know... I know you've got at least one, uh, but I've had some minor interactions with minor celebrities. That's uh, fun. That are... that are that, they, they are fun. They don't... Uh, all in all, they don't add up to much, but they're fun stories to tell for uh, events like this. Uh, but... Kevin living in uh, this the city of apples. Uh, oh, New certainly the city of apples, orchards this... far as the eye can see. Tall town, uh, King Kong's vacation spot. Uh, do you uh, have you had any minor interactions with minor celebrities? Why, certainly I have, Fern. Oh, uh, and I will. I will preface this. I will say that all of these are the gods honest. You know, it's this is a uh, this is a hundred percent above board. Uh, but I indeed did work at a comic book store that was in uh, uh, a somewhat major epicenter of uh, New York City, off of Union Square, uh, Forbidden Planet, which hopefully by the time this episode airs is uh, reopened after all of this virus business is taken care of. 
Um, but I, uh, yes, so I met um, uh, several uh, minor celebrities in that context, certainly. Uh, I, uh, one morning, one weekend morning, uh, Neil Patrick Harris uh, stopped by. He was looking oh. for uh, merchandise for his children. I shit you not. He was looking for Sonic merchandise for his children. <laughs> uh, I met uh, uh, character actor Michael Sheen, uh, who did not want my help. Just... <laughs> Not did, at all. did not want it. Stay uh, the which, fuck away from me, Kevin. Stay the fuck away from Michael Sheen. If I am not fucking Sarah Silverman, I don't want to talk to anyone. Uh, okay. Is uh, Michael Sheen uh, a fine actor? I met H. John Benjamin. Uh, oh, again, cool. very briefly, I was over at my, uh, I worked at a, a games counter, which was tucked away in the side of the store. And uh, it's one evening and H. John Benjamin comes up to me and he's like, hey, do you have any, <laughs> sorry, I, I, do you have any Naruto toys? <laughs> I'm looking for some Naruto toys for my nephew. Uh, so that, and I was, unfortunately we did not, well, I showed him a couple Naruto toys, but he was not interested in any of them. Uh, but I did, Jason Benjamin did ask me about Naruto toys. I met Jason Manzukis. Zooks! Zooks, the Zooks was what, he's a big comics fan. He talks about it all the time on his many shows. Uh, and he was sort of just uh, ambling around with a lady uh, he ended up, I was like, if he comes over to me, I will just say like, Hey, you know, big fan. You're like the funniest fucking guy. And I will leave it there. I will stop. You know, I don't want to bother these people. He's, he's out with a lady. Um, and, uh, he did end up coming over to me. I got to say some nice things. The same did not happen with Amy Poehler who went off to the other side of the store. Um, and the final one I will leave you with, uh, was, uh, Danny Sexbang of the Game Grumps. Oh, wow. Uh, he was, he was just walking around and I was like, can I help you? And he's like, nah, brother, it's all good. And he was very smiley, he was very handsome. And we, uh, we left it at that. And I didn't say any, I don't like to bother the celebs that, that come through. I like yeah. to, I'm like, oh, there they are. But I, I just, what would I say? I'm not going to ask them for a photo, but if they come over to me, I'll be like, oh, sup. Uh, and then we will move on with our lives. So I'm sorry Absolutely. if that was more than you asked for, but that is a that is a, a a small cadre of celebs that I have that I have met. That was wonderful. I only knew of the I only knew of the uh, Manzukas encounter. Zooks. The the H John Benjamin encounter may be one of the funnier things I've ever heard. I really enjoy that a lot. Yeah, uh, H John uh, Benjamin saying Naruto. If any of you uh, know H John Benjamin, can hire him to say words for money. I would recommend the word Naruto. It's uh, it sounds wonderful. It sounds great. But also, you did the you did the right thing. I think you were uh, in all those instances. You were a good fan. You were just like. You recognize that they are human beings, and <laughs> I am not entitled to their time. I yeah. am aware of them; they are not aware of me. Uh, so I wanted to uh, say hello, and those are the those are the my run-ins in a non-like signing context. Like I have gotcha. very briefly, like Jack Black signed my copy of Tropic Thunder, and Kyle Gass did not. You know, but I don't, I wouldn't <laughs> count that as a celebrity encounter. I was in line for an autograph with Jack Black. When yeah, it's it's different when you go to a, a celebrity zoo than when you encounter one in the wild. Yes, exactly. Uh, I met a yeah. wild, <laughs> I met a wild H. John Benjamin. <laughs> uh, not a shiny H. John Benjamin, just regular wild uh, H. John Benjamin, but still. Yeah, uh, I was not in the safari zone. No, <laughs> I, I I've I've been uh, to a couple of the uh, the celebrity zoos where it's like you go into the thing anticipating to meet uh celebrities with me it's 
I, I introduced this as minor interactions with minor celebrities. And these are like the most minor of minor celebrities. Uh, I went to like a, a survivor fan uh, oh, event hell yeah, dude. where I got to meet some people that were on survivor. And that was a great time. Hell yeah, uh, dude. Uh, all your favorites from uh, survivor China and Pearl Survivor's, Islands. Pearl Islands, exactly. Samoa. <laughs> uh, the, the We've exhausted uh, the number of Survivor seasons I'm familiar with. <laughs> I, uh, I I met the lady who won Survivor Pearl Islands oh, and wow. Survivor Heroes and Villains. At, at, at time of this recording, the only two-time winner of Survivor, but they're doing an all-winner s- season, and she is gone. So they're going to have another two-time... No one gives a shit about Survivor, uh, but <laughs> here we are. I'm talking about it. Speaking of which, I guess, like, I don't know if this counts, but, like, and we talked about this um, on a previous episode. Um, and legally, uh, not Survivor, but I was once in the running to be on a show that's very similar to Survivor. And I did meet the host of that show. Uh, and the host of that show talks in real life exactly like he does on that show. Uh, and I thought that was very funny to me, uh, whenever he said, Vern, you know that if we bring someone out here, we think they've got a chance of winning. And I was like, oh my God, you, you sound exactly, that's, this is how you talk. I thought you were trying to be dramatic on the show, but that's just how you are. Apart from that, um, my interactions have been uh, a little bit, they've not, as far as like face to face ones go, um, it's a little bit more limited, I've had some things where, like, I made some fan art for the Sloppy Boys and they reposted it. Uh, stuff like that. My my big story, um, this is the biggest celebrity, but also the most minor interaction, um, was when I was working at Disney World mm-hmm. in uh, Orlando, Florida. Uh, I had a, a, a dinner reservation at a restaurant in the French Pavilion of Epcot. Oh, uh, magnifique. Yes, uh, it was Vern desperately trying to impress a lady. Epcot's the place to do it, baby. City Epcot, of dreams. Big yes, ball and, full of dreams. And the, the French Pavilion uh, is the place to do it. Uh, we got there, and when I when we got there, I was like frustrated because uh, we got there late and dinner was gone, but they were like, well, because they're Disney and they're desperate to just make you happy and keep coming back. They're like, we can serve you dessert. Um, but in a French accent, <laughs> hey, we um, can serve you dessert. We have a, a creme brulee that looks like Mickey's head. Uh, we have a baguette that looks like Mickey's head. We have on eclair, a two, uh, Boston cream that look like Mickey's head. Oh, so you've been to this place. You, you yes, indeed. About. But I was I was at this restaurant, and I was really frustrated and really, like, frazzled because it's, like, typical dumb shit, like, it's a date, and I'm trying to impress a girl. I want her to like me. You know, I went Get out of here, walk. Goofy. Get out of here. Get the fuck away from me, Goofy. I don't care that you can't ski. Gorsh. <laughs> just, you know, I was just very upset that everything <laughs> hadn't went perfectly. That you can't ski. <laughs> He tries, but he's not good at it. That narrator is so mean to him. <laughs> he, I, and narrator, he's trying. He's trying. He's Just, trying his best. He's trying his best. Narrator, get out of that booth. You go do it. Narrator, when have you played tennis? Come on, give the guy a break. <laughs> he's a dog. 
He's doing good for a dog. He's walking around on his hind legs. You see, he's wearing clothes, people clothes. He's a single father. He's got a lot you going should, on. You should be imp- be impressed with what you're seeing, not with what you're not. Like, Goof he's gets doing enough shit from Pete. He doesn't need it from you. He's a single father. <laughs> like, let him have a fucking hobby. <laughs> he's trying to jump off the diving board. He really is. <laughs> Just let him be. Come on, narrator, you asshole. And the also uh, the idea of... What if that was... Yeah, I saw Goofy at the French Pavilion. Lake <laughs> <laughs> Orsh. Um, but no, I was in that typical just like line of uh, thinking where it's just like, I wanted this night to be perfect and it's not perfect, so I'm mad. Blah, 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 blah. Which of course makes and the night way better. It really course, helps yes. recoup all your losses. Of course, yeah. And, you know, of course she was completely won over by me and we lived happily together and all this stuff, especially with where the story is going. But as I'm sitting there in this restaurant, just fuming because it's not perfect and because not everything's happy and the happiest place on earth, I keep hearing this, this like this loud mouth asshole in the restaurant, just talking out loud so everyone can hear him. And I'm like, this motherfucker, will he shut up? Like, no one cares. Just one of those, just one of those people that the entire world has to have their attention or be at their attention, whatever it is. And and as this night goes on and as I'm just sitting there fuming and getting frustrated and I'm getting annoyed at this guy, but I'm starting to register, wait a second, this voice sounds familiar. It keeps happening, and I keep hearing him talk, and I keep getting frustrated, but there's still that air of familiarity. But then I have the the aha moment, and I'm like, wait a second. There's no way. I know I've heard this voice. There's no way this is who I think it is. And there was, um, because you know, it was like a little partition, just a little thing so you can know like which section of the restaurant's which, for if you're a waitress. Uh, I couldn't see the person behind this partition, so I leaned forward and looked, and... By God, was it Francis Ford Coppola? And I nearly shat my pants because Francis Ford Coppola is right there. And it's like, of course that's him. I'm the only person my age who has watched all three Godfather films with audio commentaries. Why did I not pick up this voice earlier? And I'm thinking to myself, like, there's no way. There's no way Francis Ford Coppola is here. Why is he here? And then I realize, I start doing, like, the mental gymnastics. I'm like... Oh, wait, this is uh, a year and a month after Michael Jackson passed away. And next week, they're reopening Captain EO at Epcot, the short film that he directed starring Michael Jackson for Epcot. So Coppola must spread the man's ashes around the Captain EO space. Uh, Got to commemorate a real hero, just a true... A true the pioneer. guy who never did anything wrong. A guy who I definitely don't still see impersonators of running around. And I'm like, he's, did you not thing, read the paper? The only thing he's guilty of is writing some good songs. <laughs> the only thing he's guilty of is dancing too well. Yeah. And I don't know. He didn't even write a song. Someone else wrote them. Uh, but yeah, I was like, oh, he's here to like supervise the re-release at Epcot or whatever. Then the date went, like, remarkably well, because then the attention was not at all on the female that I brought with me, but it's all about, oh, my God, Francis Ford Coppola is right over there. Oh, my God. The uh, director of, of Jack. Oh, my <laughs> God. Do you know? Okay. 
New York stories, but the worst one. <laughs> That's him. <laughs> the, not the two, not the good one by Martin Scorsese, not the funny one by Woody Allen. Another guy who's done nothing wrong, nothing but wrong. the bad one. It's him. Uh, wow, Francis Ford Coppola. I was thinking about the copster earlier today, actually. Oh. Uh, yes, I was I was sitting around pondering, thinking about uh, what surely uh, would be a topic I can only talk about with you. Um, <laughs> is that how, like, uh, Coppola is one of only, like, five filmmakers anyone can name from before the modern era? Yeah. Uh, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me give you a little, let me, let me put this out there for you, Vern, and maybe you'll know some of these, maybe you won't, but uh, let me, let me, uh, pour a hempla. Uh, one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Who directed that? I only know this because of a bit of a trivia, but that's Victor Fleming. Victor Fleming. Okay. Now, would you say most people would be able to pull Victor Fleming? Oh, no, no, not at all. Uh, another, another. you know what? It's got some problematic elements, but another banger, uh, Gone with the Wind. Uh, who directed that, that? That is also Victor Fleming. Is that really? Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> what a career that guy had. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's Casablanca. a bit of trivia. Who done it? That's a bit of trivia. I know he directed Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz in the same year. In the same year, uh, 1939. Pretty, cra- pretty crazy. 1939. And there was a a, a, a portion that he missed a few days on whichever one came out second. I can't remember, but he missed a few days um, because he was in the hospital. And uh, to quote the one of my favorite people in the universe, Pete Timmerman, uh, film critic Pete Timmerman. Probably because he directed two of the greatest fucking movies of all time in the same year. Uh, <laughs> so, so he probably, you know, he was tired. <laughs> yeah, he's tired. It's uh, pretty emotionally drained after those. Uh, so you were you were a bad litmus test for this uh, uh, experiment. But, but I don't know um, Casablanca. I don't know who directed that. But at all. who directed Casablanca? Arguably, I don't know, like one of the three greatest movies ever made. Uh, who did it? The Gene Wilder Willy Wonka, uh, inarguably one of the most famous movies of all time. Uh, inarguably a movie that we all remember uh, at least five sequences of that are burned into the permanent cultural memory. Uh, who done it? Couldn't tell you. Not Gene. We like to say it was Gene, but and I love Gene. He didn't direct that movie. Uh, I know that one of the guys from Rutland Weekend Television is in it. I know Gene Wilder's in it, but I don't know who directed it. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Uh, so that that was just, that was nothing. That was just, uh, we really only recently started thinking about directors. And uh, let's be generous here. We really only started thinking about Marvel directors. But yeah. <laughs> Marvel and Star Wars are the ones that people know. But it's still, uh, you know, it's like Hitchcock, Spielberg, Scorsese, Coppola... And then it's a, a little while until like John Hughes, <laughs> and we know those folks. Like we know we know the names Hitchcock, we know Spielberg, we know Spielberg is the one outlier. But like we know Hitchcock, uh, Coppola, we know all these other filmmakers. But we know one one hundredth of their filmographies. Right. We we know uh, Psycho, North by Northwest, and Rear Window and Vertigo. We are less familiar with The Lady Vanishes. No one knows Family Plot. A few people, like, in your 102 classes will know Rope. But... Yeah, you're, like, you're maybe going to get a Rebecca, but that's, like, yeah. as far as we're going to go. We it know is. five Coppola movies, but he's made 35. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we know Col- uh, Coppola movies. And to be fair, the reason we know so many of them is because three of them have the same title but a different number. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, my, my man comes out, directs uh, four American masterpieces in the same decade, and uh, <laughs> then then 80s on, he had kind of a rough time. Yeah, uh, no one knows, like, every once in a while you'll get, like, a rumblefish in there, but no one knows, like... Rumblefish, swordfish, the outsiders, but you're never going to get to, like, Twixit or whatever the fuck. Yeah, oh, Twix. <laughs> Twix, no one's going to know... Uh, the musical that he made. Yeah. That he one from the heart? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I always get it heart. mixed up with Heaven's Gate, who is Chimino. Uh, but I, I always get those two uh, industry bankruptors confused. <laughs> <laughs> I always get two movies that, like, doomed a studio uh, uh, mixed up. It wasn't until, like, the 1970s that people started thinking of filmmakers as, like, artists? And it yeah. was just like, before then, it was just like, they're just like, it's, it's, it's a dirty job. Someone's got to do it. It's oh a dirty God. job. <laughs> like, the studio system, we like to talk about how movies now are so, like, oh, it's all pre-planned. It's all studios. But I'm like, have you ever read up on the fucking 1940s? The movie is 90% done before they start filming it. And they bring in a director just to, like, babysit Jimmy Stewart. Like, that's his job. He yeah, doesn't get it's... to make any decisions. <laughs> In in uh, in film school, in a, in history of film, we watched uh, this short film called like "Rescued from Eagles' Wings" or something like that. Rescued from an eagle's nest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it. Um, yeah, of course. And th- the only thing that makes that movie worth like noteworthy is that D. W. Griffith is the main actor in it, and right. he's the main actor in it because like he showed up to a studio and was like, "Hey, I want to direct movies," and they're like, "Oh, we got nothing for you, but do you want to star in this short film?" Like, <laughs> uh, like, sure. It was not art for a long time. Film, <laughs> like, no, it was, became uh, art. Yes, yes, but it was all it was all function. It was, and there are of uh, course great works of art from the entire length of of cinema. Like, don't don't hear Vern and I wrong. But the idea that movies were supposed to be art is relatively recent. Uh, as, exactly, as far as the medium is concerned. Exactly. There's, I mean, there's a handful of people back then who took it seriously and who wanted to elevate the art form. Um, you know, like, and that's and that's why, like. And those people we all know, like we we've heard Charlie Chaplin, we've heard D.W. Griffith, we've heard Buster Keaton. Like the only reason, but we only reason we know those names is because they looked at it as art and not just like well, that's my job, gotta point the camera, you know. Like. Exactly, and we uh, have a harder time recalling whoever directed uh, the 1930s version of King Kong, which like, good luck, good, <laughs> good, good luck pulling that one. Love the movie. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. And it's just, um, I, I, I wonder uh, why that is. Yeah, and as I said, like, the only reason I know Victor Fleming is because he directed those two movies in the same year. Yeah, pretty uh, which yeah. is Which is like, it's like, imagine Charles Sully Sullenberger landed the plane <laughs> and also, like, pulled a, uh, a locomotive off of a small child and saved his life in the same month. When Charles Sully <laughs> Sullenberger heroically saved 55 souls, landed that cruiser in the Hudson, and then the government fucking railroaded him. And then he also, like, invented penicillin in the same year. Yes. Like, imagine uh, that. It's like, it's like some far-flung idea, like, oh, what if someone directed 
Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein in the same calendar year. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, I have this crazy idea. What if someone directed The Conversation and The Godfather Part 2, like, in the same year? Like, could and, you imagine? And both those movies got nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars in the same year. Like, and imagine. What, and what if I told you that all four of the movies I just mentioned all came out in the same year? Like, could you imagine if 1974 was that crazy? It would never, ever happen in a million, billion, trillion years. But That would be crazier than anything you'd find in a movie. This is only vaguely related, but, like... Fuck it. The, and it's been this way throughout the history of just, like, filmmaking and just, like, making art. But just, like, so much of the 70s were, like... The reason, and we talked about this in a previous episode, but, like, the reason Rocky ended up getting made is because there's a gangster in it and because The Godfather was popular... Um, there's a lot of just like, this worked, let's try it again. And it's, it's been that way for an eternity, which is why there's a million reboots and remakes because like it worked before, let's do it again. Um, and anytime like there's a surprise hit, like that gets done to death immediately. Um, before Inception, no movie trailers had in them, but now they all do. Still, um, still 10 years later, still. Still, uh, and I was thinking about this earlier today, and I'm going to bring up Survivor again, but when Survivor came out, that, like, did gangbusters, and, like, the next year, the only thing you could watch on TV was reality TV shows. Yeah. And... Change the game. Change the fucking game. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's... People love watching this stuff, and it's cheaper to produce, because we don't have to hire writers, we don't have to, uh, you know, do all this other stuff. We have to pay for one location um and it is a location in the middle of like the tonga so we can pay for like 34 us dollars but like i was thinking about this and i'm like and there's way bigger things to worry about in our current state of affairs right now with uh the pandemic going on but god i hope i hope so badly hope against hope that like after this is all said and done there isn't a lot of filmmakers and people that work in the TV industry. It's like, why don't we just keep doing shows by Zoom? It's even cheaper. Like, <laughs> God, I hope not because I know there's. I know this is it's really way bad. Cheaper. And it's way I know. Cheaper. I know this is really bad, and I know there's a lot of very sick people. And I'm not diminishing it by any means. But like, man, I miss production value. Like, yeah. I miss non-swimmy audio. I miss like lighting. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just, I, I, I just have this, like, perhaps irrational fear that, like, even whenever ever the dust is settled on this and everything's fine, we're still going to be watching Zoom phone calls on TV. And I don't want that. You know, wow. like, you know, you know when this is all said and done, there's going to be a movie that is like Unfriended, where it's all takes place in a Zoom conversation. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you know what's going to happen. You know there's going to be, like, a serious, like, drama film or a serious, like, a couple, like, breaking up and getting back together over the course of a 90-minute Zoom call feature. Like, you know that's going to happen, and I don't... I'm dreading that. <laughs> Vern, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you already. It's uh, probably uh, in production. <laughs> They're filming it right now. Well, I know that, and I only know this because uh, an article I spotted on the AV Club the other day. 
Kevin Smith has already written the coronavirus pandemic into a script for Mallrats 2, which is like, I'm going to the, both the... cut my wrists and shoot myself. Like, <laughs> it's a bad combination of things. <sighs> Oil and vinegar, it's drinking uh. and driving, it's coronavirus and mall rats too neither of those things should happen to our country but they're both going to happen and they're going to happen together (laughs) i i don't know what better time to go back to the mall than at a time where basically every mall is fucking closed right better time so on the fight all right on the pulse kev I just, I, and I, I, I remember watching Mallrats as a teenager and just thinking like, what if Ethan Suppley couldn't see the, the sailboat because his face mask was covering his eyes? Oh you know, man, like, oh, can't, can't wait, can't wait to see Brody's wacky perspective on the coronavirus. And of did course, I get, did like, I get the right Jason Lee character? I can't, no, you, I can't. you got it. Yeah. Okay. Brody Bruce and no Brody, one. What's and, this Chasing Amy guy? Banky. Uh, Banky, Banky, Banky McNeil, I think, or, or no, it's Bank- Holden McNeil. It's Holden McNeil, Banky, but it's but Banky. Banky. But ba- okay, Banky is Jason Lee. Okay, uh, okay. we got it. But no, audience, don't worry, we figured out. <laughs> don't worry, Jason don't Lee worry, audience. That's, don't worry, audience. It's already tuned out. As you um, were, as you were. <laughs> but you know, there's going to be some stupid fucking bit where, like, uh and the mall rats too. Where it's like, oh, we can't shake hands now, and they're like, well, no one shook Brody's hand anyway because he'd stink palm people. Like, you know there's going to be some stupid fucking joke about that. Like, Can't wait, can't wait, can't uh, wait. Kevin Smith is a really just interesting person because, like, Clerks was so important for me because I thought, I saw that movie, I'm like, oh, anyone can make a movie. You don't have to have, like, a pedigree. You can just, if you've, if you've got the ambition, you can just make your movie and, and you, you know, it's a rags to riches kind of story. And so, like, in the span of, like, God, a decade for me. Kevin Smith was, like, both the most inspiring human being there was and just also a human being that I just can't stand. (laughs) I just can't, like, can't stand and cannot stand his art. And I don't know what happened there. I guess it's just because I got older. I I think, I I think, I think that's truly it. I think, I think that's the fucking secret sauce is that if you had seen his current filmography when you were younger, you would have a different perspective on it, which is, that's, that's natural. That's, that's, that is, uh, that is the trajectory I think we're supposed to take. Yeah. And I mean, and there's some other things too, like, at least like whenever he was starting, like with the, Mallrats is the exception for a little bit, but like every film he did was something different for a long time there. And so Uh, that makes it, Sure. That makes him interesting. I mean, Mallrats is different because it's clerks in a mall. Right. Um, That's kind of what I was thinking, but I understand what you're... But Dogma is very different. It's, yes, a, it's uh, a departure from anything he had done previously and is still his finest work. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. Haven't revisited it recently, uh, so don't cancel me, but uh, I, <laughs> I remember it being his finest work. A wonderful, like, rising of the stakes for his, his stuff. I just remember really enjoying it. Um it's, also, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. Um, I watched, like, Clerks, oh, God, like, three years ago, four years uh, ago. And I was like, no, this I, I this, this holds up. I've since realized from, like, interviews and audio commentaries that, like, a lot of what's good about that movie uh, happened by accident. <laughs> and not because uh, he's a, a master craftsperson. 
And I remember Clerks 2 holding up. I remember Clerks 2 being fine. I, uh, I'm i a Clerks 2 man. I prefer Clerks 2. I think uh, the, the passion of the Clerks... Uh... <laughs> Really, really was a uh, really was a, a a step up from what had come previous. A Jay and Silent Bob movie? Who would pay to see that? And I'm looking into my audio device right now. Oh, that's a what an excellent what an excellent gaff. What an excellent. They do that three times in that movie. Where oh they look yeah. Into the camera. Ah, uh, yeah. While well, we're talking about Kevin Smith movies that do or do not hold up, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, nigh unwatchable. <laughs> I, uh, I I couldn't like the other, I said the other day. This I was a while have ago. tried, <laughs> and I've been very curious about seeing a reboot the sequel. To Jay and uh, yes, the Fathom event, Jay and Silent Bob yes. reboot. Nicole and I have been like uh, visiting a, a video. Well, we, before the thing happened, uh, we frequ- we were frequenting a video store, Top Hat Video, in uh, Bountiful Utah. Lovely people, lovely place. We've really enjoyed like just watching, renting movies from there, and, and and watching them. And I saw that they had Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and I, I was like, I can't do this because I like these people, and I don't want them to think less of me. <laughs> like they don't have it at Top Hat Video, but I would rather walk up to the counter with hardcore pornography than Jay and Silent Bob reboot. <laughs> What will they think of me? And I I don't know why, because just like, there was a time in my life where if you told me the same set of circumstances, like, oh my god, I would have went batshit. But it has to just be like, Kevin Smith was like a 101 class. He was a a gateway drug into like, I guess he was kind of like my introduction to like independent film. And through him, I discovered, you know, like other independent films. And uh, things that hold up a lot. Like, because of Kevin Smith movies, I discovered, like, Quentin Tarantino movies. Hey, yeah, absolutely. And then Tarantino it's, is himself a, uh, a yes. gateway onto the next step. Absolutely, yes. Because the movies he references in his movies are, like, uh, Breathless, <laughs> you know, by, like, uh, Jean-Luc Godard. Or, did Godard do Bre- Breathless, or did he do... Uh, I get confused. It, uh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, he Godard did Breathless. And then... is Breathless. And uh, oh, the other guy is 400 Blows. Truffaut, uh, yeah. Truffaut. Truffaut. Oh, boy. Uh, I will, I, I forever like in my life, idiot. I will uh, uh, get those fucking mixed around. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, like, Quentin Tarantino references Breathless in his movies and things like that, whereas, uh, you know, Kevin Smith references, like, Jaws. You know, it's just... No, there's. Sure, sure. More layers to a Tarantino thing, so maybe that's just what it is. I just Kevin Smith was like, it's not novel stopped. anymore. It's yeah. not. It's not. It's not a change of pace. And you know, it, it, he he is what he is. I think we're supposed to supposed to be that way. Can you imagine if the '90s film uh, landscape had um, because there were there were sort of four extremely prominent figures in in the boom of '90s film. Okay, you have you have Kevin Smith, undeniably. Mm-hmm. You have Tarantino. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Robert Rodriguez, whose movies are all better in context. Where you're like, oh wow, he made this for like twenty dollars, and he made all the sandwiches for the crew. Like uh, that will always make his movies one letter grade better. Um, yes. But the fourth figure is Steven Soderbergh, and can you imagine a, a contemporary film landscape? 
where if we as a culture had glommed onto sex lies and videotape in the same way <laughs> that like instead of clerks instead of pulp fiction we 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 cling to sex lies and videotape what a different film landscape that is i like i i don't know if it's better i just think about it we're all just a bunch of like not we're 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 a bunch of not closeted um sex perverts we just wear that more proudly than we're you just, know than we do now yeah uh we 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 more proudly throw that around every filmmaker strives to become a, a journeyman who lights shoots writes directs edits and scores his own movies uh does two of them a year and it's really more right. about the more about the process than the actual movie that he ends up making yeah like uh re- ridiculous uh i i'm not super familiar Who, with soderbergh in his free time uh, is like i'm gonna recolor uh raiders of the lost ark to be uh black and white uh <laughs> just for fun because i can't yeah because i'm steven uh, soderbergh i i have a lot of respect for his work ethic and for the stuff that he does i'm not super familiar with him and it's only because like uh one of his this is going to sound absurd and mind-blowing, but one of his movies left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, side effects. And it was purely just because, like, that is the most realistic, relatable, true depiction of being depressed and being so suicidal I've ever seen in a movie. And then you find out she's faking it. Yeah. So it makes everyone who suffers from those things look like they're faking it and they're sure. trying to get attention. Right. And, and you're that, like, yeah, and that that's not out. like the filmmaker's intent, but it's also kind of, it's, it's tough. That's, that's, yeah. uh, it's a hard thing to, to parse apart. You gotta, I mean, it was like we were talking about, uh, off, uh, off mic is just like one of those things where he might've gotten into production. and was like, Oh, I can't change it now. This is the story. Ah, uh, oh, fuck. <laughs> Uh, this is a me- this is not the message I wanted to get out there. Um, I, also, I guess I guess my Batman movie is a metaphor for the Bush administration. I uh, guess I, I guess that's I what I'm saying. I didn't now. mean for it, but oh, we've I got guess. Heath right here. Oh shit! Oh. Ah, fuck! Oh, he's in costume. Oh, I can't. I can't back out. Oh, I can't rewrite. Um, I can't rewrite because kind of the thing about my movies is how like tight scripted and wonderfully written they are. Oh, oh shit! Oh. But uh, that being said, um, with Steven Soderbergh, uh, man, Logan Lucky, every day of the week, I love that movie. Just every single day, just I could I could do Logan Lucky for the rest of my life, and I'd be happy. Oh, what a uh, what a film! What a fucking Wonderful fucking movie. Did you say cauliflower to me? <laughs> you and your little cauliflower plants. I think that I've been I've been wondering for a while when exactly Adam Driver made the transition from kind of weird looking good actor to the best actor of his generation whose asshole we all just want to fucking tear open. And I Kevin, think we, it might be Logan Lucky. Kevin, we have had this conversation and we've had this conversation on Kevin before. <laughs> or fucking hacks worth the fuck. Guys, Kevin and I have seven topics of conversation. <laughs> One of them is we Adam have seven Driver's things we ever talk butthole. about them, and it's Adam Driver, his uh, chocolate I, of course, starfish. Yeah. I of course fell in love with them uh, for um, during Man Who uh, Killed Don Quixote. Sure, sure. Uh, it's uh, I'm very excited because Marriage Story is coming out on Criterion. And, with a uh, with a deceptive Blu-ray cover where it's like the the happy family and I'm like oh people might people are gonna pick this one up might have yeah, the wrong idea. God, speaking of which, uh, speaking of dumb people deceived by that movie, do you remember whenever 
allegedly the smartest man in the world, Neil deGrasse Tyson, tweeted that it should be called Divorce Story. Like, you dumb idiot. That's what the movie's about. Like, you fucking idiot. Like, that's the idea. That's the idea. We are living in the op- we are living in the bad timeline because the darkest timeline, the dumbest. I I like to they refer took to away it st- as the dumbest possible timeline. Yes, uh, we as I as I said uh, before, O oh death, O oh death, your cruelness I can feel. You took away Hawking, but you left us kneel. Uh, it's we're <laughs> we're in the dumbest timeline. We're in the dumbest uh, timeline. Neil deGrasse Tyson's sitting at home, fucking popping on Netflix, and he's like, I think Marriage Story is on uh, Adam Driver's site. Uh, <laughs> fucking idiot. Dumb idiot. Dumb idiot. Go back Go back to space. Stay. <laughs> we don't want you. Because you're an idiot. He's, go back. Go back, he's, go back there's to nothing space. That, there's nothing that man loves more than... He doesn't love space near as much as he loves himself. He loves just like, seeing himself play himself in any movie that will have him do it. Yeah, and, and it's just like, I don't fucking care what you think about Superman and his chances against Batman in this terrible-ass Batman versus Superman uh, movie. Superman moves at a velocity that is too uh, fast. It's, uh, I, I, that's the, the two I get really frustrated with is... Neil deGrasse Tyson playing himself in movies and Wolf Blitzer playing himself in movies. Ah, uh, because those fucking whores will just... just... Anytime they need a news report for a movie, they got fucking Wolf Blitzer. They got Wolf goddamn Blitzer on there who built a fucking beach house by appearing in one scene of every movie. Uh, you gotta love it. Uh, I'm never mad when it's uh, Larry King, though. Never mad. Oh, yeah. More Larry King. Uh, I will take more... It never. I'll take more Larry King any day of the week. It's never Anderson Cooper because Anderson Cooper seems to respect himself and others. Interesting. Um, Bold stance. Uh, he seems to. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, Larry King he doesn't have the same sense of like self-respect. But he's funny and he's funny to look at, so I'm okay yeah. with it. I'm he's fine got with the suspenders. It. We love him. Yeah, I'm okay with him popping up in Ghostbusters. I'm okay with him popping up in... Absolutely. And Neil deGrasse Tyson's Ghostbusters is like, oh, you know what everyone loved about Ghostbusters? The lore. Uh, They really... We hated jokes. Let's get the Stranger Things kids in there and make it a very traumatic (laughs) Ghostbusters film about how important Ghostbusters was. The third best Bill Murray comedy of the early 80s. (laughs) Ghostbusters. Very important film. There's a lot of dumb idiots on the internet who said that, like, Ghostbusters answer the call. The the Lady Ghostbusters, like, ruined Ghostbusters. And it's like, no, guys, Ghostbusters 2 ruined Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, don't blame this on the ladies. Uh, I love Ghostbusters 2. It, it makes me, and in some ways it makes me laugh harder than the first one. Purely because, like, that movie, like, you can see Bill Murray collecting a paycheck in it. And I think he, I <laughs> think he wears the, in his, his eyes. If you zoom in and like enhance is he, the Harold, uh, Ivan Reitman, like literally signing the check. And uh, yeah, it just, you can see it like how in some movies, like you can see the reflection of like the light box and the glasses. You can see Ivan Reitman signing a check in the reflection of Bill Murray's pupils. And they had to he write wears, him a small check every day just to like motivate him. <laughs> he wears the Ghostbusters uniform twice in that movie. <laughs> twice. 
Doesn't he spend most of Ghostbusters 2, like, in a bathrobe or something? Yes, he does not. He so does not want to be there. And it's just, it's so funny to see him collecting a paycheck. It cracks me up every single time. Just the malaise and the contempt. The only reason he did Ghostbusters 1 was to make a movie called The Razor's Edge that no one has ever seen except for (laughs) me. And so, like, he definitely didn't want to do a second one, but they backed the money truck up, so... What are you going to do when the money trucks show up? I mean, that's how you get uh, broken flowers? I don't yeah um broken so get, i mean t- timeline checks out a little bit better with like a rush more but you you understand what i'm getting at yeah no uh he he'll he'll work for pennies for wes anderson but for anyone else or for jim jarmusch but for anyone else like two dump trucks we we <laughs> might smallest be, bill all takes 100 we might like, be pushing the run time here but um it's bill murray and bruce willis you hear essentially the same thing about. Now, these two are both famous for phoning in, like, performance after performance for the last, like, 20-some-odd years. Absolutely. Except they each have, like, you know, Bruce Willis will show up in the year 2012. He showed up for Moonrise Kingdom and Looper, and he is present and active in those movies. And And then he's, like, sleeping through glass and he's sleeping through 40 direct to red box movies that are like filmed in croatia he's in five scenes only enough to put him on the box art he got paid a million dollars a day which is his going rate but he'll show up and bill murray will show up for wes and you hear the same thing about both of them is that they will both meet with the director and they will be like, oh, what cameras are you using? What angles are you are you trying to set up? You know, what are you thinking here? And if the director has clear, concise, well understood and well thought out answers, guess what? Bill's going to show up for your movie. Bill's going to actually act in this one, baby. If you like know what the fuck you're talking about, Bill will act for Wes. Uh, Bruce will act for Wes or Bruce will act for Ryan Johnson because those are two people that know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But if but if Bruce shows up on your set, Kevin Smith, you've been working in the industry for 20 years and you don't know the different lenses, <laughs> Bruce ain't showing up for Cop Out. Bruce, Bruce phoning this yes. one in. There are, uh, there are some scenes in, um, is the fourth one live free or die hard? Correcto or a, mundo. Or is it a good day? To, one of the, whatever, the, a good day to die hard, it live goes. free or die hard? It goes. Um, die hard. What, die whichever hard one it was. Die harder. Die hard with a vengeance. Live free or die hard. Good day to die hard. Okay, it's. It's good day to good day dot good day to die hard. That's a hard word, to, a hard title to say. Good day um, to die hard. It's the first uh, die hard movie written as a sequel to the original Die Hard. All the other ones were just scripts they cannibalized. They were yeah, um, they were all scripts for other different movies that they're like, I don't know, is this a Die Hard sequel? It is now, bitch. It, and is this a Die Hard? Tore uh, out fucking pages. But <laughs> but there's scenes in a, a Good Day to Die Hard where like. Literally, Bruce Willis is, like, sightseeing in the background. He's just, like, wandering through the frame. just like, oh, that's, I guess that is kind of a cool rig. He just, like... And the his, his son and whoever else has got to act through the movie for him. And it's, uh, once Thank, again... Yeah, Jai Courtney carries that one on his fucking back. <laughs> and um, once again, like, very funny. Not an entertaining movie, but very funny just to see him. But, like... 
Also, he was in a Broadway performance of Misery as the James Conn character. Maybe it's because he got to sit down the entire time. But <laughs> he gets to sit in bed for the time. He gets to lay in bed. Um, uh, Ryan Johnson and Wes for Bruce, and then Jim Jarmusch and Wes for Bill, and then and then that's it. They don't they don't care. Uh, and that's it. That's who they'll, uh, that's the who only, they'll work for. The only difference is uh, everyone looks at Bill Murray as like wonderful, wholesome man, and everyone thinks Bruce Willis is an asshole. They're when both the, the exact is, same They're person. both assholes. <laughs> yeah, they're both assholes. Yeah, that's this is how truth. it is. That's the truth. This has been Kevin. <laughs> This has been a Talk Back Podcast.